Well, good morning. I want to welcome you who are in the worship center as well as those who are in the venue and joining us online. If you have your bulletin, uh, it has an outline inside of it. I want to invite you to take that out. We have been looking at a series called Believe, which we've been focusing really on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her part in delivering uh, our Savior to us in this world, and uh, really what she had to believe to make it through that first chaotic, you know, Pastor Derek talked about a chaotic Christmas that we may be having. She faced an incredibly chaotic Christmas as uh, uh, her world was rocked. Um, with what the angel had to say to her. Uh, and, and yet Mary was really an amazing, amazing young woman who went through a lot. It, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the story of the little boy at Christmas time who sees some of his friends writing um, notes to Santa Claus. And he says, I want to go one better. And so he writes a note to Jesus Christ. You heard about this? Okay? He, he writes this note, and he says, um, takes out a pen and a paper, and he writes it down. And he says, Dear Jesus, if you get me a PlayStation 4 for Christmas, I promise to be good for a year. And he looks at that, and he says, oh, I, I, I can't do that. That would be impossible. And t- takes the paper, he crumples it all up. He gets a new sheet out, and he writes, Dear Jesus, if you get me a PlayStation 4 for Christmas, I promise to be good for a month. He thinks, oh, no, 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 that's impossible as well. I can't do that. So he goes downstairs where the Christmas tree is all lit and it's warm and glowing. And he walks and he sees the nativity scene. And he goes there and he grabs a figurine of the Virgin Mary. He takes it and he wraps it up. He places it into a gift bag. And he walks back up to his room. He puts it inside of his closet up in his bedroom. And he takes out a piece of paper and he writes, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... Mary has gone through a lot, hasn't she? A lot. And yet we want to look at the biblical truth and what the Bible says about Mary. And that's what we've been looking at the last few weeks. And, you know, I think the reason that Mary resonates so much with us is because um, her story is so captivating because here's someone who what happened to her was almost inconceivable. And yet she was kind of the inconspicuous. It happened to her, an extraordinary thing, and yet she was just kind of ordinary. Scripture doesn't say. She was, she was out of the ordinary. In fact, Mary is so relatable to us if we just take her from what Scripture says about her. It's our culture that has perhaps overblown her image. In fact, a few weeks ago I mentioned that I picked up a copy of the National Geographic um, magazine that talked about Mary... Uh, on it, the little caption says, Mary, the most powerful woman in the world, which is kind of an interesting title. I mean, you think about the day and age here that we are in, where even with our presidential debates, one, I think, last night with the Democrats, earlier this week with the Republicans, and two women are prominent in the midst of those. You think about other world powers and other world leaders. Um, I, I never would have ascribed power, though, really, to Mary um, but let me write, or let me read a little bit what is written about her in this National Geographic article. And it, it kind of summarizes how much she is a part of our culture. It says, Mary is everywhere. Marigolds are named for her. Hail Mary passes save football games. The image of Mexico of Our Lady of Guadalupe is one of the most reproduced female likenesses ever. 
Mary draws millions each year to shrines such as Fatima in Portugal and Knock in Ireland, sustaining religious tourism estimated to be worth billions of dollars a year and providing thousands of jobs. She inspired the creation of many great works of art and architecture, Michelangelo's Pieta, Notre Dame Cathedral with Mary upon it, as well as poetry, liturgy, and um, music. And she is the spiritual confidant of billions of people, no matter how isolated or forgotten. And then last week I mentioned, if you were not here, that even Muslims have Mary as holy above all women. In fact, their name for Mary, Miriam, appears in the Quran even more times than Mary appears in our scriptures, the Holy Bible. But they've changed the story somewhat, even from the standpoint of Joseph is not included in that story. But it's Mary who is highly elevated. I also mentioned last week, and the article points out some of that, that in the first thousand years after she was born and and passed away, that um, she was seen as royalty. She was seen more as empress. She was seen as more uh, leader and and, and emperor in in the uh, countries that claimed Christianity as their religion. And then it's just been within the last thousand years that she has been seen as softer and more maternal and caring and loving and helpful um, in those types of ways. But if you go back to just what does Scripture say about Mary, really, she's one of us. She's an ordinary woman from an ordinary town. In fact, sometimes maybe even her familiarity um, with the story can play against us identifying with her. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It's on your outline as well. It'll be up here on the screen, but, but if you have your scriptures, open them up. We'd love for you to take and read and see what God's Word actually says out of the scripture that you have in your hand. If you do not have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, in the Next Step Center here in the sanctuary and in the venue, you can go to your Next Step Center as well, and there's a Bible there for you. But let me read what it says. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, just in those two short verses, we see the emphasis upon she was a virgin. She was a virgin. It was written up twice. And you have to ask, why did Dr. Luke write that up in that way? Well, for one, uh, Luke is a medical doctor, but he wants you to see that there's prophecy that is being fulfilled here. So that's why he says virgin there uh, as well. But being a medical doctor, he knows the impossibilities of this. He knows that, that only God could get involved in this if a virgin is to have a birth. And so it shows the possibilities, the impossibilities of her having this child And the point isn't, though, that Mary is so good, that's why she's chosen. Like, you know, Mary, she's chosen, she's a virgin, she's virgin, she's perfect. That's not the point here. If we believe, in fact, that, then her story can often even discourage us because we might think, well, I'm not perfect like Mary. I'm no virgin like Mary. I got my faults and I've done the wrong things. Uh, That's not the case here. Virgin isn't there to show how perfect Mary was, but rather to show the impossibilities of where God comes in and God acts of having this child. And so the point culminates with what is said about Elizabeth, that even she 
who was, who was barren now has a child, for nothing is impossible with God. Again, it's not the perfection of the servant, it's the perfection of God. As he chooses us, he being the perfect one, not we as a servant being the perfect one. And so we can, we can really identify with Mary in so many different ways. In fact, if you have your outline, I just want to list about three things of ways that I think you and I identify with Mary, maybe even more than we realize. So the first one I wrote down was this. Like Mary, we don't always see God's plan. We don't always understand it. We don't always see what God's doing. Look at verse 29. This is, this is right after the angel appeared to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It says, But she, being Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Let me just break that down. We've hit that verse a couple times here in the series, but let me just kind of break that down. See, I, I think, first of all, it's saying that Mary is pretty troubled by this. I mean, I mean, she doesn't have just this serenity. She was greatly troubled, it says. In fact, one scholar looked at this verb in the original Greek and said it, it's not just puzzled, but it means that she was deeply disturbed, that she was distraught, that she was stirred up. She was in emotional turmoil. I wonder perhaps if some of the events that have happened this year in your life have brought you to that place. If you're honest about it, you would say, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of emotionally messed up. I, I, I'm kind of confused. I'm troubled by what has gone on in my life this year. You're like Mary, if that's the case. Mary, Mary is one of us. It also goes on to say, I think that Mary is very confused. Look what it says in the next phrase there. It says, and she tried to discern. Those three words, tried to discern, in the original Greek is just one word. Not three different words, but it's just one word, and it appears um, in, repeatedly over and over again in the New Testament about 25 different times, and every time it occurs, it's where people can't figure things out. Literally, they can't make heads or tails. They can't make any headway in what is even going on. They're scratching their head. They, they can't understand what's taking place. And if you find yourself here today... And you're saying, you know what, sometimes, yeah, I just don't get it either. I can't discern what's going on. I can't discern what direction God wants me to go. Yeah, you're, you're like Mary. You identify with Mary and what she's feeling right here as well. Text goes on and, and it indicates that Mary is, is, is kind of alarmed at what's going on. It goes on to say she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In fact, the, the King James Version says what sort of salutation this is because different people from different parts of the world spoke in different kind of dialects. And so Mary's scratching her head. She's not quite sure what dialect and where this person is from who is talking to her right now. And if you're here today asking that same type of thing, you know what, you don't know what God's necessarily wanting to you, you to do or how he's talking to you or how he's maybe addressing you or maybe it sounds a little foreign to you what you feel like he's leading you to do, you're joining in with Mary and the feelings and the emotions that she is feeling at this first Christmas time. In fact, jump ahead to verse 34. Mary asked the question, how's this going to be? 
I'm not sure. She's questioning. I'm not so sure about this angel. You know, you're telling me this, but have you forgot? I'm a virgin. How is this even going to take place? I can't be pregnant. I should know. I haven't had that kind of relationship that's necessary to bring this about. It's impossible what you are asking me to do. I mean, when you boil it down to that, Mary's a pretty real person, isn't she? She's feeling all this. She's feeling troubled. She's feeling confused. She's feeling alarmed. She's questioning. And I think Mary is, is, is right on. I mean, she's not thinking, you know, uh, way over the top, and she hasn't jumped to a lot of conclusions here. She's thinking pretty clearly, isn't she? I mean, she's right. None of this seems to be lining up with God's perfect plan for her life. You ever wonder about that? God, don't you have this perfect plan for me? And if you do, it certainly doesn't feel like it's happening to me here right now. Maybe 2015 was a tough, tough year for you, and you don't see how 2016 is going to be much different. My prayer is that you are, as you enter into a brand new year, that you might look at this kind of situation that happened to Mary and say, okay, what did she do that... She was able to step through this. How did she play this out? And one of the things that she did, well, numerous things that she did, but I hope that you will step into your new year and even the end of this year believing and responding as Mary did with a couple of things. One would be uh, seeking godly counsel, as we saw last week when we see her going to Elizabeth, her relative, in verses 39 through 45. But also then in 46 through the end of that, 55, she worshiped, she prayed, she took her sights off of what's going on down here and puts them back up on God and focuses in upon Him But we also see her being very reflective. This is where maybe the otherworldly part comes in with Mary, of how we perceive her and how she handled some of these situations. Let me pick up the story in Luke chapter 2. This is after the angels had talked to the shepherds, shared with them what good news has come. And then let me pick up the story in verse 15. It says, And when the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Have you ever thought that must be an awfully big manger to have Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger? Okay, that was a dumb joke. I won't use that one ever again. Okay, okay. Some of you didn't get that, but that's all right. You'll get it later on at at lunchtime. Have someone explain it at lunchtime, okay? Verse 17, and when they saw it, not the big manger, but the baby, the Savior, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, here it is. Watch this. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Them. Many people believe that Luke actually had an eyewitness uh, uh, account from Mary, spoke, interviewed Mary to find out what she was thinking, to find out what she was feeling at this time in her life. That's why we get so many details about Mary and even the, the Magnificat that is sung or she writes kind of in her diary and sings over there in chapter 1. And then we see in the middle of this narrative, this, this, this shepherd's narrative going 
to see the baby. We see just the stillness of serenity now of Mary, pondering in her heart what all has taken place. I mean, look at what is said. Go back to chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. You have to think what she might have been pondering and remembering what the angel said. Look what it says in verse 32. It says, This one who you will give birth to, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. See all the royalty that's going on here. He will have the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, there will be no end. You see the royalty that's taking place in there? The vastness of now Mary contemplating this and saying, Wow, look at all that's going to happen. The song, Mary, Did You Know? is a favorite of many people, especially at this time of year. And it talks about how Mary probably was looking into the very face of the newborn child and at that same time was seeing the face of her God right there. And so what we want to do is just take a few moments just to hear this song and put yourself into this place of Mary And say, Mary, did you know, did you realize all that was going to happen to you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters did you
that your baby boy would one day rule the nations. Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? And the sleeping child you're holding is the great. probably had no idea. She did not know what all was to come, but she knew enough to say yes. And I trust and pray as you enter into a new year, maybe a new chapter for some of you, that whatever comes your way, like Mary, you may say, I know enough to say yes to what God wants me to do. Let me give you a second way that I think we are much like Mary and we can resonate with her And that is, like Mary, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Like Mary, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 35. It says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And even Elizabeth enters into the same thoughts there where it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the, was filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit. Listen, let, let me just remind you in case we've forgotten this. We can do nothing without the Spirit of God working in our lives. Amen? Amen. We can do nothing. And that same Holy Spirit that played a role in Jesus being born is the same Holy Spirit that played a role in rocketing him out of the grave, out of the tomb that after he died so that he can live forever and forever and forever. And that same Holy Spirit is also the one who is working in our lives. Let's not forget that. Scripture talks about that. It's the same Spirit working in and through us today. Some 2,000 years, we hear this story, we see this story, maybe we have kind of this gentle, peaceful feel of what this is. Mary was, was, was terrified. Mary did not know everything that was going to happen to her. But she knew the Holy Spirit must be involved. The Holy Spirit must be the one to work in her, or she was never going to do what God wanted her to do. One of my favorite stories is a story of a pastor back in the 1800s by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Some of you recognize that name. Very, very popular pastor, famous pastor, who pastored the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England at the time. Uh, He had a sanctuary that was probably three to four, five times as large as this. Packed out services often that he preached to every weekend. And yet one tragic Sunday... As he was sharing and preaching, in the middle of a crowded auditorium, someone stood up and yelled, fire, as a prank. Everybody went into panic. Several people trying to get out were trampled to death in the ensuing stampede. 
Understandably, Pastor Spurgeon was, was shattered. In fact, he retreated to his bedroom for several days that week. Didn't want to talk, didn't want to speak to anybody, didn't uh, want any food, couldn't sleep for nearly a week. And at the end of that week, the um, elders of the church came to him and said, um, Pastor Spurgeon, uh, we know that you're overcome with grief, but your church needs to hear a message of hope from you. Your church uh, needs to hear from you. Sunday is coming. You've got to come and speak. You've got to give them a word of encouragement. He looked up at the elders and he says, I can't do it. I can't do it. They said, you have to come. Please come. You have to. So he manages enough strength to come down and sits in the front row. And he's sitting beside his wife on that Sunday, and he's listening to the music. He knows his time to come speak. It's coming very quickly. And he leans over to his wife. He says, I can't do it. I can't. And she leaned over to him and said the words that are now famous for years and years later. She leaned over and she whispered in his ear, Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? He says that's what got him up off of that pew and got him to walk up onto that stage. In fact, what he did was every step that he took, he took a step and said, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. History shows us that his message was electrifying that day, unifying message that the Holy Spirit gave to him, overcoming the anxiety that he felt and many of the people felt for the death of their loved ones and some of the friends from their church. Now, I look at that kind of a story and I think, you know, in more ways than I realize, that is the truth about my life that I have to be so dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to be dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I've just now become used to some of the things that I have been so uncomfortable doing that just need to be done. This week we have a difficult uh, funeral service. Death of a young boy, 15 years old, um, from our congregation. And, and not going to be fun to, to preach and share words of that. You've got to find words of encouragement, though, to share in the midst of that. I think about another situation where I was asked to go pray over a home um, uh, with some things that are taking place there. Again, not always comfortable with that. I have to continue to come back and say, Brad, but it's not you. It's not any power that you have. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. And nothing will happen without that. And I have to tell you that for you as well. Nothing will happen in your Christian life. Nothing will happen with your Christian faith. Nothing will happen with what you believe if you don't engage the power of the Holy Spirit and realize it's not you doing it, but it's through what the Holy Spirit does through you. He is your helper. He is your counsel. He is your comfort. He is your strength. He is the power that you do everything with. And please do not forget to tap into that. You cannot do that on your own strength. In fact, as we, as we end 2015, start 2016, I'll say this. You know, in my 40-something years of, of living, I've never seen fear that has gripped a world as much as it has right now. 
It seems like there is fear all over this world from from ISIS and wondering what's going to take place there to the bomb threats that happened down in, you know, the Los Angeles school districts this past week and other school districts wondering what they should do, if they're hoaxes or not, world terrorism, people now coming to say, you know, it's not just a matter of if, but when. You think about the presidential change in power that's going to happen at the end of this year, beginning of 2017, uh, and nobody knows just exactly what, what will be believed or what protocols and policies will be put into place when a new president comes into power. Uh, world leaders now having hydrogen bombs and, and, and um, nuclear bombs. You, you feel like what's going on over in the Middle East is just World War III just priming to happen, a spark, a flame making that take place. That's not even all of our personal issues and things that we're all going through, home, work, relatives, whatever it may be. Fear can paralyze us. And yet the Holy Spirit does not want that for your life. Believer, you have got to understand this. The Holy Spirit is for you. Have you forgotten that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world? That's out of 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Unfortunately, we've we've lost that right perspective of who God is and how omniscient and how powerful and all-knowing and how sovereign He is, and we've been captives of fear. You have to fight against that. In fact, um, you need, we all need a right understanding of who God is and being able to focus upon that. That's what worship does. That's why when we come here on Sunday mornings, I hope it takes our eyes off of what's taking place here in the world and directs it up to God because He's the all-knowing one. He's the all-powerful one. He's the sovereign one who has all of this in his hands. And when we understand that, fear does not have to grip us. In fact, the first series that we're going to enter into in 2016 is a series called No God, No Fear. And the no God is the K-N-O-W, know him, experience him. And when you know him, then you will have no fear, N-O fear. No God, no fear. We've got to get back into a right understanding of who God is in our lives. And when we do that, then our fear flees. And we don't panic, we praise. We don't worry, we worship. We don't fear, but we're freed to live as God has called us to live. Because let me remind you, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, He is present with you everywhere you go. Whatever situation you are walking into this week, He is there. And he promises to be with you. Where you go, God goes. What you feel, God feels. What you face, God faces. And so you see your challenges. God sees your challenges as just opportunities for him to display how powerful and mighty and awesome he is. That's all it is. And whatever fear you have, let that chase you into the arms of God. Because what the Holy Spirit can do in your life is what he did in Mary's life. And when we read these stories, we understand, yes, I'm just like Mary. I can experience this. I need to take some of the steps that Mary took as well. Which, let me get you to the last point, is this. Like Mary, the right choice is not always the easy one. The right choice... It's not always the easy choice. Look what it says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. The phrase there, servant, that we see in verse 38, is this word bond servant. It's not like a slave, but it's choosing a master that we are sealed to, that we come up against, that we bond with. It's saying, I choose you. I want to align myself with you. I am yours. And what Mary is doing when she is doing that, she's choosing and agreeing to chaos in her life. That's what she's really choosing. But you've got to understand this. A person's character is not usually revealed um, when things are going well. A person's character is revealed when you go through the tough times, when you go through and face things and how you respond with the unexpected or with the unfamiliar or with the uncomfortable. That's when our character is shown. That's when our faith gets revealed what we truly believe. You know, again, we look at verse 38, we might think, you know, Mary's life was just kind of one of those, you know, okay, I'll I'll do this, I'm your bondservant. Uh-uh, no way. Do you realize what she was agreeing to? Do you realize the chaos that was going to go on in her life? Watch this scene from Nativity. It's it's about a 45-minute clip here from the movie The Nativity, where Mary is speaking with her parents and with Joseph in the background as well. And watch the chaos that is on their faces. It's a little hard to hear. Some of the accents are a little hard to pick up. But I want you to feel the tension that's going on with Mary as she's talking about how she's now pregnant. Take a look. An angel told you this, that you would bear the Son of God. Mary. Elizabeth had a baby, even in her old age. Elizabeth has a husband. Women have been put to death for this. They could stone you in the street. Do you understand? You should have stayed with Elizabeth. Father. Father. I have broken no vow. Oh, you have broken every vow, Mary. Was it one of her soldiers? Was it? I have told the truth. Whether you believe is your choice, not mine. I've told the truth. Whether you believe it is your choice. He says, you, Father, looked at her and says, you have broken every vow. Now, we don't know exactly what he said. We don't have that down in Scripture. But you got to believe. you got to think that she was facing such ridicule. We cannot romanticize what Mary is going through here. The right choice is not always the easy choice. But the right choice is easier when you know that it's what God wants you to do. See, see, Mary's story is in Scripture so that we can learn from her. Not that we can give her praise, but we can give God praise through what he did through her. And when we face challenges, we can then look to those who have done what we are called to do. Right? Whatever you are called to do this week is probably not quite as big as carrying a virgin birth. Right? Probably not. Because here's the thing. As you are going through it, as people know that you are believers, they're looking to your lives as well. Just as we look to Mary's, 
You might have children. You might have grandchildren. Some of you might have great-grandchildren. They are looking to your lives. If you're an aunt or an uncle, anybody who, even if you're a student in, in, in school, you have classmates who are looking to see how you go through things, to see how you take tests, to see how you do trials in your life. And just as we, thousands of years later, look at Mary, people will look at us. How are we going to handle this? How are we going to go through the choices in life? What God has called us to go through. In fact, let me just give you a little something to think about. This week probably is the main week that people will be saying to you, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. When you hear the word Merry Christmas, in your mind, don't think M-E-R-R-Y, think M-A-R-Y, Merry Christmas. Can I do my Christmas like Mary would have done hers? Not so that she can receive the praise, but so that we can see God in the midst of what he is doing. Because God chose Mary like he's choosing us. He chose her for what? He chose to give us the greatest gift that was ever given. In fact, I love how C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, the son of man became a man to enable men to become sons of God. And he did that through a servant. A servant who was talked about hundreds of years before, about the Lord who was coming. And let me just read to you what it says out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We see this prophecy that is now fulfilled, that we now rejoice in, that we now celebrate, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and the name shall be called, remember the names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of what? Prince of Peace. In our day and age of fear, Mary was bringing peace into the world. God chose her. Not so we can praise her, just like we don't praise Moses, we don't praise Abraham, we don't praise David, we don't praise Paul. Not so we can praise her, but so that we can look to her example. But the peace that she was bringing in, was the peace that needs to come to this world. And I pray that as you share that peace with others this week, as others see you going through your difficulties and struggles, that you will turn to the Lord and say, I'm yours, I'm in. May it be to me as you have said, and may we use the power of the Holy Spirit to step where God wants us to step this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, your Spirit is uh, so ready to help us. God, forgive us when we try and do things on our own power. Forgive us when we try and do what you have called us to do in our own strength. God, forgive us when we, we even try and do things that are not of your will. They're of our own pleasure. They're of our own doing. And yet, God, you, you've called us. You have called us like you called Mary. To be the ones to share your message of hope. To be the ones to share your message of encouragement for a world that has lost their peace. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. He has come into this world. Lord, we celebrate that. We rejoice in that. And even, Lord, as we're going to sing a last song that talks about the joy that we're supposed to sing that with. God, I, I pray that we would do that. That we would know we're the ones called to share the hope, to share the goodness, to share the love, to share the peace that, God, you have placed in your son, Jesus. 
whom we now know, whom we now experience, whom now we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. God, may your power be present in each and one of us here who knows you and loves you and calls you by name. Folks, today, if you're here and you have not experienced that peace in your life, if you have not yet said, yes, Jesus, I need to know you in a personal way, here's the invitation. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I accept you now as my Lord and Savior. I acknowledge you were born into this world as a young baby, but you grew into a man. You became my death substitutionary sacrifice on a cross. I know you did not stay in the tomb, but you rocketed out. You are alive today, and today you did that because you wanted to forgive me. Jesus, today, I ask for that forgiveness. And I ask that you control my life, that you walk me through the steps of this life. God, I, I, I ask for your peace in my life. Folks, today, it's not just those exact words, but it's the intentions of your heart. And if today you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to come down after the service is over, to find me, find one of our other musical staff up here, or to go to our Next Step Center and share with the person behind there that says, I made a decision to receive Christ today. You will experience a Christmas like you have never, ever, ever experienced before. God, forgive us if we have forgotten what that joy brings. For today we want to celebrate that. We want to sing of that. And we do that even now. For we love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we give you praise. And all God's family said, Amen. Amen.